What's up, City of Champion listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Now, the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, is happy to be partnering with Seat Giant to offer you a deal on tickets to major sporting events, big concerts, popular theater throughout North America, and more. Whether you're at home or on vacation, check Seat Giant for tickets to games, concerts, pretty much anything else you need tickets for. Visit SeatGiant.ca to find tickets. Use the promo code APN at checkout to get 5% off your purchases. You'll save a bit and the network gets a little cut of that purchase as well. All tickets are in Canadian dollars, even for the events that are in the US. Seat Giant is a Canadian owned and operated and it's guarantees every ticket. So help yourself to a great experience while helping the Alberta Podcast Network and a Canadian owned business. Visit seatgiant.ca and use the promo code APN. And now, back to the show. I want to start by saying my apologies to everyone uh, for the long delay between episodes. Last month has been a bit hectic with the release of my short political documentary titled Over a Barrel. It's a look at the foreign funding behind activism against the Canadian oil and gas industry. If you haven't already, make sure you check it out. It's at overabarreldoc.com. Uh, You can watch it for free until October 31st, and I encourage you to do so. So, my guest this week is Edmonton Ward 10 City Councillor Michael Walters. This was really a perfect episode to jump back into the podcast with, because one of Councillor Walters' council initiatives is energy transition and climate resilience for the City of Edmonton. So, that's obviously a pressing topic for people lately, I mean, with the federal election and Greta Thunberg's visit here. So we had a chance to discuss the city's pragmatic and thoughtful approach to climate change. And also, Councillor Walters uh, brought a ton of insight to the conversation on homelessness in the city and River Valley development. It was a truly enjoyable conversation with Councillor Walters, and I applaud him for his dedicated and conscientious work for everyone in our city. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy the show. This is going to be as hot a start as ever, but uh, Councillor Walters here just uh, put some on the desk. What are we looking at? So this is uh, a framed uh, newspaper uh, from October 8th, 1912, uh, where the one of the stories is sort of pulled out and blown up, uh, and it says Southside Workman Killed in a Cave-In. Can I take a photo of it? Yeah. I'll post a photo on it. Yeah, 100%. So this is a story about my great-grandfather who uh, was killed at the age of 30 in 1912, building uh, what was called, it was a Strathcona Brewers, it was a brewery, Uh, it was an excavation uh, cave-in, which is now, uh, this space would have been just behind what is now the Kinsman Fieldhouse. So my, so we lived in Allendale with my grandmother and his two sisters, or my grandfather lived in Allendale with Mm -hmm. his a mother and his father, Fred, here, who mm-hmm. was the one who was uh, killed that day. So my great-grandfather was uh, killed building Edmonton. Was, uh, was you know, Allendale is in my ward, so this is uh, kind of full circle in some ways. Well, let's my hope service. it's not all the way full circle. Yeah, no, I, don't wanna, <laughs> I hope, hope I don't get killed in service to <laughs> the city of Edmonton. But what, the, so what does this serve as a reminder, having having up on the wall for you? Like, what when you see it, kind of what are the, what are the first thoughts that kind of come to mind? 
Well, so you know, you're great. Always grateful for the sacrifice that your family uh, makes uh, in this community or any community that they struggle through to provide you, me, with a with a good life. And and you know, he was here, and so I've learned more about this story. He was here as an immigrant, mm-hmm. uh, had only been here a year. Um, what it, year did he come here? And he uh, came from he Germany. He came in 1908, 1908. through Winnipeg uh, to Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my grandfather was very young at the time. So actually, he was in Edmonton a year, mm-hmm. but he had been in Winnipeg about three years or so. Yeah. So he'd been in Canada about four years. Uh, so he was a newcomer uh, trying to make his way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, certainly this was a death that in today's workplace standards would probably not have happened. No, for sure. <laughs> uh, very preventable. You know, we learn a lot from these tragedies. Uh, but, you know, it's a story of immigration, of struggle of hard work, mm-hmm. of sacrifice, and I think that's what our communities in Canada are built on. So that's a reminder of that, uh, and that people starting out in our country today are struggling. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not in the same place we were in 1912, that's for sure, but there's a lot of similarities between you know, struggles of newcomers today as, as there was back then. And, and for me, uh, you know, having come to this great city of Edmonton, so my road left it my family story left Edmonton for quite a while mm-hmm. uh, after this but this is a, a good reminder of why I'm so passionate about this city do you know why they left Germany in the first place so just better life in Canada yeah, so they, they came via sort of a place in the Ukraine called Volinia oh okay right and what was happening at that time in the world was was World War One this was pre- just underway just before World War One yeah yeah it's you know Things change so quickly, mm-hmm. and I think we get so wrapped up in the issues du jour, if you will, um, that we forget. I, I was listening to a podcast either today or yesterday, and someone was saying, look how far we've come in 100 years. Like back in 1919, what was gro- going on in the world? It's the start of the Russian Revolution, yeah. First World War, Spanish influenza, uh, and the conception of Nazism was brewing at that That's time. Right. It's and it like, was in my other side of the family. So the young man that was the son of Fred, my actual grandfather, mm-hmm. moved to Winfield, like out Winfield Buck Lake area in Alberta, uh, just west of Edmonton, and, and met my grandmother who came after World War One. Her family came after World War One, mm-hmm. fleeing, you know, the after effects and the chaos that mm-hmm. still existed uh, in much of Eastern Europe after World War One, and it was, yeah. It's a totally different world today. Certainly for us here in Canada, it's a totally different world. Yeah, definitely. How, how hard was it for you to come across this article? So I, I had a, a fam. You know, we all have these family historians in our in our ranks these days, which is like quite the, a blessing. The aunt that's got too yeah. much time on her hand that's yeah. like putting it all together. So this yeah, was like I a distant that. cousin that uh, had reached out and had done some family history mm-hmm. on so... My grand, great-grandmother, who is now widowed, mm-hmm. married, got remarried, and this is why my grandfather ended up in the Winfield, Buck Lake, and then ultimately Drayton Valley area, yeah. where I grew up. Right. Uh, she married this guy, and it was an offspring of that, mm-hmm. a couple generations down the line. Yeah. Guy, guy showed up, and I got to meet him one day, and he had all this really amazing information about my, about my great-grandfather, which was 
a real gift. It's incredible. Like our great grandkids are gonna have so much more on us than, oh, oh, yeah. than maybe we'd like them to, right? Yeah, like that's it's right. gonna be like, oh, your Instagram page, yeah, that's Twitter, right. all the bad articles a, written about you. You want to see a hundred thousand pictures of my grandpa? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It, it is interesting. So, how is it bringing it back to you? How is it that a uh, small town kid from Drayton Valley finds himself in one of the most important, but probably one of the most thankless jobs in Edmonton at the same time? So, you know, it kind of goes back to this this story, you know. My, my, it was my own grandfather and grandmother uh, that inspired me uh, towards public life, really. You know, they were farmers mm-hmm. in, in, in a little community called Pendrel, which is between Winfield and Buck Lake, which are two communities that most people have probably not heard of. Uh, and they were just, you know, good down-home down people, mm-hmm. uh, salt of the earth. Uh, farmers worked really hard, uh, stewards of the land. My grandmother taught me about what we now in in the urban world called permaculture but it's just good good farming okay and uh gardening and canning and pickling and and but my parents generation so my mom was the youngest the youngest of nine kids that they had moved into Drayton Valley with a nine kids with my stepdad and my goodness. worked in the oil patch so I had kind of grew up in both this very pastoral mm-hmm. kind of rural life half my life and then in this really kind of edgy hard living kind of oil field economy in Drayton Valley it was lots of boom and bust and Mm -hmm. lots of challenges uh, you know men away for long periods of time Mm -hmm. but both cultures predicated on like incredibly hard work very hard work and struggle yeah and and like pull your bootstraps up and no complaining I'm sure yeah and so but the sort of pathway to politics you know so there was you know without getting into a lot of detail there was a lot of struggle in my family Mm -hmm. uh, for a variety of reasons and and when I would uh, so when I was a kid uh, you know kind of preteen we lived on a small little acreage uh, and we were so the week was for school and weekends were for working you know cutting trees Mm -hmm. picking roots picking rocks getting this acreage all beautiful was that fun for you at the time it or? wasn't fun no, at the time. it actually felt like work it yeah, wasn't it was, dressed up as a game no, no, it, was, <laughs> it was fairly torturous as a as a preteen and a teen but the mm-hmm. only tv we were allowed to watch was fridays uh or sorry saturday evenings after after five mm-hmm. that's when you know my stepdad would go settle down and do his do his own get his own r and r yeah and we would watch be allowed to watch tv but the only tv was cbc because we didn't get it was in the country mm-hmm. And so the only show that was on was This Week in Parliament. So Come on, I was, really? Yeah. What about so, Hockey Night in Canada? Well, Hockey Night in Canada came after. Oh, okay. So I would watch that. So yeah. I'd watch This Week in Parliament, then Hockey Night in Canada. Yeah. And that was that was CBC. And that was once a week. I got that 5 p.m. till... And there was only one game. You right. didn't get the double header. Right. So it was done at 8, 8.30 and it was... Or, or 9 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so I got I got a real flavor for politics watching that show, and I also got a real flavor for the effect that public policy, or the relationship that public policy has to people's private lives. Mm. So I, I had a sense of politics from a very young age, and I could see how public policy or a lack of public policy was making my family's experience more difficult. Right. Uh, and so from then on, ever ever since I was twelve or thirteen years old, I was pretty interested in politics and. By the time I got to Edmonton in the early 90s and I started working at Bissell Center mm-hmm. uh, and I worked with you know our homeless community back in those days, I could see again the political impacts or the political effects on 
or public policy effects on those people's private pain and private struggles. And mm-hmm. So for me, politics has always been the relationship between people's wellness and, re- and community wellness and public policy and how right. those two things are not separate. Mm-hmm. And you take this all the way back to my great-grandfather's story that we started with is his death is probably directly related to the lack of occupational uh, health uh, and safety standards right. that wouldn't have existed in those days to the same degree that they exist, exist today. That's very interesting. And, and that changed the whole... And so the lack of good public policy and sort of workplace practice mm-hmm. uh, changed the life and the history of a whole family. Mm-hmm. And now I could say for the good maybe because if it hadn't been if that hadn't happened I may not be here right but, butterfly effect yeah that's right <laughs> but but you know that's you know that's a, a bit a bit obtuse actually of me to even say I think that the truth is is that families lives we lose our loved ones uh, if we don't have good public policy mm-hmm. our life is is negatively affected if we don't have good public policy and so mm-hmm. I care a lot about good public policy and the effect that it has on making people's lives better which yeah. is how this small town kid ended up in this big city chair. <laughs> well, you're you're um, in a tough position because as good as things are now, you can't exactly like as a counselor say, "Hey guys, remember how bad it used to be a hundred years ago? Yeah. Like we're doing pretty good." Like yeah. you can't look back you and can't do say that. that. Um, the other thing I think people kind of, especially when it comes to vulnerable populations, there's always there's always the cost associated that people think in ter- think of when they're thinking of helping, whether it's housing or, or, or mental health uh, services, or what have you. Um, but no one seems to focus on like what their potential could be if the help worked, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I've been doing a lot of um, a lot of uh, research on sort of climate change and and policies around the world, and and one thing that gets brought up a lot is if the money that we're be putting towards climate change was put towards malnutrition or or sanitation in some places that are in desperate need of those, like. Those kids grow up with healthy brains and healthy healthy lives, and what are they going to contribute? You never know when you're going to have the next Elon Musk or the next mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg in a group of kids. So, I mean, like life is precious, and it seems like we should always be nurturing whatever we have because you never know who's going to make a difference, mm-hmm. right? Well, if we could take the money out of climate change projects that are not actually reducing emissions, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think a a bit of money goes goes towards towards lack of success Mm -hmm. Uh, and so so absolutely I think potential is everything and and I think cities are really cities are about potential Mm -hmm. like how are we leaning towards our potential how are we striving towards our potential as a as a city as a collection of communities and a collection of people that should be our driving force which is why I care so much about young people and Mm -hmm. building cities that are attractive for young people yeah well when, when you think of how much potential one life has right mm-hmm. like how much potential good can one person do who gets their act together who focuses on being productive and meaningful and doing something that is of value to other people and then you multiply by however many people are in Edmonton what is it close to a million mm-hmm. right like how like potential is it like you're right. talking about like right. limitless potential at that point point. and then when you figure out how to connect those people to others mm-hmm. then everything changes yeah right? so when you and I meeting could change the world Hopefully. Yeah. And everyone well, listening to Everyone it. listening. Uh, it may not change the world, but it could. Mm-hmm. And the likelihood that it will is greater that we've, since we've met. And I think that's the beautiful thing about, about 
cities, which are this sort of thri- you know they're thriving, they're pulsating, mm-hmm. they're alive all the time. Is mm-hmm. that there's always an opportunity for people to be connected. Yeah. And so I look at our job as, you know, so we're policy people, mm-hmm. but we're also connectors mm-hmm. and we're conveners. Mm-hmm. And as long as we're doing all those things really well, notwithstanding what someone's particular ideology is or what someone's worldview is, as long as we're debating good public policy in the, with an eye on this will improve people's lives how, mm-hmm. uh, and if we're connecting people together and we're convening uh, interesting conversations and interesting debates, mm-hmm. I think we're doing our job. Well, I mean, let's 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 stay on the topic of climate change, for example. Obviously, we had the strikes that have been going on. Greta just came to visit. I mean, it's like you said, and I, I'm kind of a believer of that too. I think there's a, there's a lot of good to be done, but there's a lot of things that are being done that are not productive at the same time. I mean, like I'd love to ask you what your thoughts of the uh, the climate bridge blockade were. So there's there's a couple of things that matter a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that matters most to me is my own children, mm-hmm. uh, and then by extension, everybody else's children. Yeah. And the the future that we're trying to build for them is is really important. So whether proce- protests on a bridge are meaningful or not, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I think they irritate a lot of people. I was I was in and, that. Yeah, and <laughs> and I don't generally, you know, I could spend another, we could spend another hour in a podcast on most effective ways to organize communities and mm-hmm. engage communities. I don't, I don't think that's generally very effective. Mm. But here's a, let, let me zoom out a little bit more. For sure. We, uh, in August, uh, created something here called the Carbon Budget for the City of Edmonton. Mm-hmm. So this is a tool that's based on the science that I actually believe profoundly in. So I'm not I'm not uh, interested in a lot of the debates these days about disputing the peer-reviewed, the tremendously comprehensively peer-reviewed science out mm-hmm. there that's being kind of channeled through the U, the, the UN. Uh, uh, so we know that there's uh, 600 gigatons of carbon left to put into the atmosphere if we want to keep temperature increases below 1.5 degrees. You've heard all this before. Yep. So what that means for the city of Edmonton is that our contribution to that based on our size and population and region mm-hmm. is about 155 megatons. Mm-hmm. We presently burn uh, or expend 19 megatons a year. So that means we have 155 bucks bucks in the bank. Mm-hmm. We're spending 19 a year. We're broke in eight years. Right. And so we've gone over what we're responsible for. Mm-hmm. So now the other thing that gets said a lot is that Canada is only responsible for 1.6% of global emissions. So why bother? Right. You could shut down Canada. Conservatives who don't who are a little bit more tepid about real climate action mm-hmm. tend to make that claim. Uh, and, and they say if our economy shut down, it would, would be incidental. But truth is, is that we're not, we're the ninth leading producer of emissions in the world. Right. Uh, China and the U.S. produce, or sorry, U.S. And, and China, that's right, produce 42% of emissions. The mm-hmm. rest of us are the 52%. Right. We're ninth. 70% of all those emissions come from cities, mm-hmm. of which we're part of a global community on cities. Right. So we need to do something meaningful. Mm-hmm is my point. And the carbon budget is the best tool to help us do something meaningful for, like that's, 
like meaningful for real. Mm-hmm. So we're not, not just talking. Mm-hmm. Uh, we passed a carbon budget strip plan, which puts Edmonton on a carbon budget, mm-hmm. that says we're going to help move people from 20 tons of carbon a year to three. Because mm-hmm. we have the highest, one of the, we like to complain about China, but they're three tons per year per person. We're 20. Right. Right. And I've heard that we're supposed to be the highest yeah, per, per person per so, capita, which is so one way to slice it. You I could suppose. slice this in yeah. a way that says we should do nothing, and yeah. you could slice this in a way that says we should do it all. And like most things, the answer is probably somewhere well, in the middle. Well, but the truth is, is the carbon budget tells us what our responsibility is. So mm-hmm. if we want to reduce, keep only put the one fifty five megatons in or less. Mm-hmm. Here's the, then subsequently here are the things we need to do. Right. We did that, but then. A different councillor brought forward the climate emergency, mm-hmm. and that sucked the air out of all of the this very tangible thing right. very that I, I personally think is the better way forward, mm-hmm. uh, and will actually reduce emissions and put us on a pathway that we could measurably watch ourselves mm-hmm. reduce emissions, learn together as a community how to live more sustainably. Mm-hmm. So the emergencies and the climate strikes and the bridge protests take up all the oxygen. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they steal oxygen from the very practical things. Now, they're, the, the argument from those engaging in those other actions would be, well, you're not going to do this stuff unless, mm-hmm. which I, I don't necessarily know is true. Mm-hmm. And I don't begrudge, like Greta Thunberg, what a remarkable young person. Yeah, it is. Uh, nothing she's short a, of remarkable. She's a she's remarkable done. young person. My own children. Yeah. You know, my, my Kara is who I'm married to. And, She's very excited to go see her. Yeah. And 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 my children were um, my my son goes to high school. He's very excited to go see her. Like she's motivating a lot of people to mm-hmm. think. Well, you know, I need to look in the mirror about my own lifestyle. Right. You know. So yeah. like climate strikes, I, you know, they like to pick on Alberta and pick on oil and gas. They pick on one part of part of the hydrocarbon economy. Yeah. They they should be protesting airports and they should be protesting auto plants in Ontario and. You know, plane factories in Quebec, but I dare say it, the beef, like the beef industry, right? You know, these things yeah, yeah. That, that make a huge impact right. as well. But oil is an easy target. Yeah, you it's go, become too easy. It's, un, it's unfair. Mm-hmm. It's totally unfair. 100%. But but we have to do our part, right? Yeah. So, what does it mean for the city of Edmonton to be on a carbon budget? Mm-hmm. Stay tuned because that's a conversation that I will. I think we need to lift above all else, mm-hmm. and we will get a chance to in December at a, at a council meeting. So, what are what are some of the policies that that carbon budget will impact? Is it more um, designing people's way to the end user that they can reduce their footprint, or right. is it more business development, like, or is it innovating all those? So avenues? we got we got it all for yeah. at our fingertips. So mm-hmm. our saying that we're going to have one hundred percent renewable energy by twenty thirty for city of Edmonton operations by signing power purchase agreements that lead to additional renewable energy in the in the grid mm-hmm. uh, that's a major commitment where the city could potentially partner with our own uh, environmental solutions utility which mm-hmm. is epcor as you're aware mm-hmm. uh, all the way to our change for climate strategy which is really designed at helping citizens and homeowners and just regular folks day to day reduce their carbon footprint right uh, if we put like reorient that strategy towards the personal carbon budget mm-hmm. and, and provide people with tools and apps that they can use to to manage their use mm-hmm. building a public transportation system that that uh, uh, you know decreases the amount of traffic and, and mm-hmm. emissions tailpipe emissions mm-hmm. um, 
creating an economic and innovation ecosystem that really focuses on clean tech and uses AI to help traditional industries, so artificial intelligence to to help traditional industries like oil and ag mm-hmm. significantly reduce their emissions right. contribution yeah, we can make. We have something called the Corporate Climate Leaders Program, mm-hmm. which is, you know, West Edmonton Mall and Lafarge and Lee I. Hansen, like big cement companies and yeah. Ikea and major organizations like that working with us and each other mm-hmm. to reduce their uh, their uh, building emissions. So mm-hmm. biggest share of emissions in a city is is residential is, is our building stock right. residential and non-residential mm-hmm. so I think the city of Edmonton is doing a great job actually I'm really proud of the work we're doing on climate and I don't want that to get sort of drowned out by this very polarized <clears throat> and ugly debate about uh, the world's ending no it isn't yeah uh, scope creep 100% that's right, right? so we recognize that this is the fight of our, I would say the fight of our lives. Mm. Uh, this federal election, I think most Canadians agreed with that to some extent. Uh, but I think most Canadians and Amatonians and even Albertans want us to be practical and actually achieve mm-hmm. emissions reductions. Yeah. And so I think the city of Edmonton has a pathway to real outcomes that are going to benefit our kids yeah and i feel good about that i think yeah yeah, and you should i i think putting the onus and and the tools in the hands of the end user is such an important part like i just got a sleep app that tracks my sleeping and now i sleep more every night because i'm tracking and i know how important sleep is if you show someone a graph what gets measured gets managed right if you show someone their usage whether it's their driving their heating of their homes all that stuff um it's going to make an impact right if people are using less energy, less energy will be produced. But the problem is it, it goes in lockstep. Everything gets more efficient, but then we add more things that are more efficient right. and it just continues to escalate and never never falls back. Um, the question I'd have though is in terms of Edmonton trying to hit zero emissions or zero carbon emissions by uh, 2030 is right now renewables are considerably more expensive um, than traditional forms of energy. And so you think the city and the, the people here are going to be amenable to that when they see energy prices start to skyrocket. Well, maybe not skyrocket, but in, let's say increase, right? right. Well, the, the great thing about the city of Edmonton is we're a big purchaser. Mm. So when you put our, our load in with Epcor, mm-hmm. we're a big purchaser. So we can go to a, an energy company and say, build us, you know, we'll give you 20 years of business or 30 years of business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they could take that to the bank to build a additional renewable capacity right. whether it be a wind farm or whatever yeah are those uh, are those realistic though like wind farm wind farms sure, and yeah. solar calgary's been running their lrt system on wind farm for mm-hmm. a long time 100 percent on wind yeah wow i yeah. didn't know that That's so so we have the ability to do that as a big purchaser we have buying power mm-hmm. and i think our point is or my point is we have to use it yeah for good absolutely right don't continue to so if we want to, you know, that's the thing about electric cars, right? Like it's one thing to have electric cars, but it's one, it's another thing to have electric cars in a, in, in a grid that's powered by coal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? You've got to so trace the energy back up to the source. And, and, you know, truthfully, you know, the, I, it's called grid soup. Mm-hmm. Like what's, what is your, so you have your base load. So those stable sor- forces of en- sources of energy. So mm-hmm. I think our previous provincial governments or, or sorry, our existing provincial governments got it right in that. If we can shift more coal to natural gas as a base load, um, that has a far 
less, you know, the, the, the emissions are far less than they would be from coal. They're not perfect, but they're mm-hmm. better. And then we begin to, and this is the, the transition that we're in, mm-hmm. provide as storage capacity, which is a technology problem right now for renewable energy, right. becomes more and more viable. Mm-hmm. We then can use, you know, uh, smaller emission sources mm-hmm. to, to, to power our cities. Now, then the, 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 conservation component of this is everything like are our what is what are our building standards what are our codes right what's our level of education and commitment to using less energy mm-hmm. like these days i have two teenage sons running around turning off lights yeah right? <laughs> you know making dad jokes about do you guys have shares in the power company right yeah. like why why do you always leave the lights on but there's it's a good one I like, that. Yeah, right? <laughs> like smart homes yeah. so we have you know now the, the advent of 5g technology mm-hmm. and sensors and smart homes that are built energy efficient so mm-hmm. they're they're people proof in yeah. a way uh is you know light goes on if it's if there's no movement in a room light goes off like this this is the technology the technological uh, revolution that's happening slowly yeah so it's an evolution not a revolution happening yeah. before our eyes and I, I wish I could show you this this really cool graph I saw where once the, the curve of innovation uh, so if you imagine a curve on a graph mm-hmm. to, on an axis bends inside the curve of temperature increases mm-hmm. then we're gonna win oh, okay so the investment in technology yeah. the investment in uh, or, or the ability to use your your power as purchasers, which mm-hmm. we all have. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of us have more than others, and big cities have a lot. Right. You know this. I feel really hopeful about this. But the problem is, is we're not fighting about that stuff. We're still fighting about, you know, the very the polarizing things. Whether climate change is real, whether it isn't. Yeah. That's that seems to have now become. And the media loves that stuff mm-hmm. because it's controversial and it's and there's conflict. It's sensationalist, right? right. Like. It's the person right. going out there and moderately saying right. things are going to be okay if we do these right. things. That doesn't get the news. The you know the, yeah. the marches and the signs with the earth on fire. That that gets the news. That's right. And and then you get very sort of partisan, yeah. a very partisan political climate where mm-hmm. one side wants to clue, accuse the other of absolute negligence, mm-hmm. and then the other side wants to accuse the other of absolute hysteria. Right. And that's where we're stuck. At yeah. the moment, and so while I don't begrudge in any way the climate strikes, mm-hmm. uh, I think the protest on the bridge was very ineffective. But uh, it's a free country; people will try what they're going to try. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, we're in a free country where people could try that yeah. stuff. Uh, and but as for Greta, she's an inspiring young figure. Yeah. But as for the city of Edmonton's carbon budget, I'm excited <laughs> to continue to talk about that as a as a pathway and, mm-hmm. and an approach that I think cities around the world should take. Yeah, absolutely, because mm-hmm. it, it decentralizes that sort of responsibility, which which is almost a better thing to do, right? If I, as an individual, can do something about it, I'm more likely to, especially if I'm seeing the impact. But it's so, diffusion of responsibility, it's so hard to, to, to change your lifestyle, whether it's eating meat one less day a week mm-hmm. or, or taking transit versus driving. Like you don't see the immediate effects of that. It's so far flung in the future that that it's really hard to act on it. And yeah, we're also right. busy with our lives. But well, you need to talk about those choices that we could make because I think the other thing that's on my mind is politicians, particularly that are active in in 
supporting climate change initiatives and policies and mm-hmm. spending mm-hmm. need to be need to really practice what they preach because mm. I feel like this whole space is wrought with hypocrisy. And as soon as you label right. the hypocrite, right, people yeah. just get on your case. So you know, our current prime minister has struggled, you know, with doing saying one thing and doing another, and and I think people, you know, look sideways at that and they're yeah. like, you know, I'm not. That's not inspiring. And I think. Uh, you know, I appreciate his commitment to climate change as mm-hmm. pulse, as a value statement and a, and a suite of policies. Uh, but I think all of us that are going to do that have to really practice what we preach. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm personally trying not to, I'm trying to take the bus using transit every day. So yep. if we're going to invest people's money in building a good transit system, I should use it. Yep. Uh, and I like using it. it. Actually, makes me happier when I on the days when I take the bus instead yeah. of driving through a, a city. Mm-hmm. Uh, try not to eat a lot of meat, which has is having tremendous health benefits for me. By that's the way. great. I feel great. What do you cut out? Red meat specifically, yeah, all, or all, all, or all meat? And I've I suppose I still love sushi too much. So pes- <laughs> pescatarianism. Yeah, fair but, enough. You know, like, that's a step and, in the right and direction. It's all it is, it's not about boasting or flying way less. Like, yeah. of course, you know people, climate change a- activists. You know, raining their vitriol down in Alberta, flying over us all the time. You know that. Yeah. Like so, yeah. I sh- I should try not to fly unless absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. Right. I should drive across my country before I fly to South America. You know, these are the that we have to start to. If we really are serious about this, we have to seriously change our lives, mm-hmm. and particularly those people as policy leaders mm-hmm. need to demonstrate that it's that we're willing to do that because we can't be up here on our high horse, Mm -hmm. asking people to do things that we're not willing to do ourselves. Yeah, well, because otherwise you just get looked at as as disingenuous and and people wonder like right. are you are you just pandering are you just being the politician and saying what mm-hmm. you think the voter base wants to hear you say like you know the the one that sticks out to me with Trudeau is uh, Bill C forty eight and then buying the pipeline it's like well you you just enacted a tanker ban but then you bought a pipeline mm-hmm. it's like well, what's your end game here what what's the plan yeah well hopefully you, they hopefully we know that plan soon <laughs> yeah exactly uh, so we know what your your twenty thirty vision of Edmonton looks like as far as uh, energy policies mm-hmm. what about social policies like what do you think that we can do better and I know it's something that's really important to you so I'm, I'm excited for the lesson I'm about to get well let me try and frame this how much time do we have left uh, ten, well ten, I got <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes or something like that the, well, uh, it's all it's all your schedule okay yeah right? speaking of that family I gotta get home to them eventually. yeah no problem the so w- one of our goals is, is healthy city so you know that's a big statement Vague as, as healthy it in is. what way? You know, yeah, healthy men- in what mentally, way. physically. So, so all those things. So, I kind of, I always talk about from the river valley out. You mm-hmm. know, Edmonton's greatest jewel or greatest asset is our river, mm-hmm. in our river valley. You know, I spent, I love to canoe. I was on the river a few times this summer, mm-hmm. just reminded about how amazing this place is as a natural place. Mm-hmm. Uh, the river is our source of life. Uh, it's, you know. First world clean drinking water, yay, Upcor. But you know, it's the yeah. river that 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 provides that to us. So, you know, being healthy in Edmonton uh, is, to me, really taking advantage of our natural assets. Mm-hmm. So we have this river valley, and we have this the tributaries, the White Mud Creek, Black Mud Creek, all you know, you know, all the stuff around Gold Bar. Like our city is beautiful. Mm-hmm. So maintaining that beauty and making it more accessible to people, to all people is something that matters a lot to me. So whether it be through our 
open spaces like parks planning, it's called Breathe, uh, whether it be just through general creating access. I sit on the board of an organization, city's uh, part owner in called River Valley Alliance that we mm-hmm. share with six of our other neighboring municipalities building this 90 kilometer trail from one end of the River Valley to the other, right. Devon to Fort Saskatchewan. Really about bringing, we built these beautiful boat launch docks and bridges and the funicular is all part of that mm-hmm. whole system of work. Uh, to just creating above those natural assets, you know, sort of wellness spaces that kind of mimic our natural assets through how we build our parks mm-hmm. and our sports facilities and our rec centers, like so that the citizens of Edmonton have an opportunity to be well. Because mm-hmm. once they're well, uh, then potential is realized mm-hmm. uh, and anything's possible. So. I think social policy for me begins at a, at a, at a, at a sort of with a foundation of wellness. Like how do we, what facilities, amenities, assets do we need to build, create and protect mm-hmm. to make sure that people can live healthy lives? Be like when I run, the weeks I run a lot, I feel great. Right. The weeks I don't run as much, mm-hmm. I'm a little sluggish, a little cranky, mm-hmm. a little less imaginative about my best self. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the case for everybody. And whether you're, so, you know, we have, we talk a lot about ending poverty and providing housing for people and uh, providing supports for newcomers through low income transit passes and lit- support for literacy and, mm-hmm. and, and agency su- supporting agencies that are helping people struggle, who are struggling get better and get their lives together. Mm-hmm. I think providing a framework that supports all that stuff is the city's job. In, mm-hmm concert with the province, of course, and the federal government, who have way more money than we do. Right. Uh, but sort of natural spaces is the start of that for me. I think yeah, that's what we got to protect here. And one, that goes back to what you are saying earlier about community, right? It, right. Not only is it of a, a, a healthy lifestyle to get into those natural spaces, but it's, it's you know, the public um, place to bump into, create friction, right? right? Not in a bad way, of course, but, yeah. you know, meet someone out, you know, biking down the river valley or, or you know, walking in a park. Right. But um, well, that friction is good urban planning, right? Yeah. Like, how does how do you create a city built form on a all existing natural space? Mm-hmm. So the city of Edmonton's got some transitioning to do in that regard. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you were going to say something, but just to get this in there, that you know, one of the great things that we've provided in terms of social policy in Edmonton is affordability and housing. Right, and that's what I wanted to get to. Right. Yeah. Uh, but there's a difference between affordable housing and housing affordability. Mm-hmm. So we have a f- housing affordability generally. Mm-hmm. So we have, and that's kind of the product of having a fairly spread out yeah. city. And if you look at any right? city in Canada compared to Vancouver, it's all affordable. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But Edmonton is one of the most affordable mm-hmm. because of the way that we built. And lots of people will criticize the way that we're built because mm-hmm. we're really vast. Like we take up a lot of land. Yeah. It's not a very efficient city from no. a fiscal perspective, but it's created housing affordability. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that we can do is through better urban planning, I think, is create a more livable city. So people that currently live in Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal who will never in their in their lives imagine affording a home yeah. can do so here. But one of the things that we still lack here, I think, is that cool factor. Like those those like a Rossdale fully built up, yeah. alive, twenty four seven, breweries and the baseball park alive mm-hmm. and restaurants and apartments down there and townhouses or the quarters or mm-hmm. exhibition lands, these areas that can become these really central urban dynamic kinds of districts. Mm-hmm. 
uh, so that we have a city that we offer to the world that is both affordable, highly affordable, mm-hmm. and highly livable, and a really great place to live for young people who are going to drive the economy uh, that we want to build here. Do you think we're lacking those districts because of a population-based problem or because of maybe outdated um, bureaucratic processes and, and lack of zoning? And yeah, I think they're, they're outdated planning processes, yeah. and we've evolved. You know, like if you look at our current city plan, which was created 10 years ago now, it said we aspire to have 25% of our new development in the core. Right. Our current city plan uh, that's on the table for debate for the coming, what we now say preparing for the next million people, yeah. is about 50-50. Trying, and I think that's the best approach because it's it's a real choice. Did we like, hit that 25% Yeah, target? we started to yeah. in the last couple of years. But the truth is, is that there's been a lack of choice in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Is that mo- if you want to afford a home, you probably have to go to the suburbs. Yeah. If you want to afford a, a reasonable sized home that, at least in our mindset today, we think we need to raise a family, mm. you got to go to the suburbs. So we haven't, Edmonton's lacked choice yeah. in a lot of ways. So the new city plan for me is about choice. It's about, you can choose to live in a suburban community because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff still being developed out there and we can choose to live and raise a family in a downtown or more mature district mm-hmm. in Edmonton and yeah. that's where we have to get and I think once the marketplace and the consumers start to pick what we see in most cities that are far more mature than Edmonton in terms mm-hmm. of age um, more and more people are living in and particularly younger people are starting to choose to live in in uh, closer to the core and more urban settings mm-hmm. than and in suburban settings. It certainly seems to be an expectation mm-hmm. that, that people have, at least people sort of one generation, I'm 31, one generation before me, it was like, you know, you grow up and then you buy a house somewhere with space for the family. Mm-hmm. But like, I've, you know, I've grown up in smaller places my whole life and I have no problem. I'd love to live in the core of any city, right? Like, I love the walkability. I think despite the fact that you're in the middle of downtown, there is sort of a neighborhood feel no matter where you are. Um, and so I think you'll slowly start to see a, a shift more to that realistic outlook of like, look, if I, if I want to be eco-conscious, but I also want a family, it's probably better to live downtown, even if I have less space. Right. right. That's um, right. And we had to create not just choices for families uh, who are purchasing homes or renting homes, but for developers and builders mm-hmm. to do more than just build suburban communities. Like the challenge for... Like I don't begrudge developers for having done that because mm-hmm. some of the ways when you talk about bureaucratic process, there's a lot of red tape around trying to rezone and build in the core. Mm-hmm. It's easy to build on a farmer's field. Mm-hmm. It's or easier. It's very difficult if you're taking a brownfield site that's mm-hmm. got a bunch of neighbors around it and and old roads and old sewers. And so you know us as a city. You know what I've tried to to focus on is how do we use existing assets right. like selling off land that the city of Edmonton owns in the mm-hmm. suburbs mm-hmm. which is something I don't think we should own mm-hmm. take the value from that and make investments in Rossdale exhibition lands quarters etc so that they become more attractive for private sector development to actually develop it build it sell it create those mm-hmm. dynamic districts that will become known for mm-hmm. and that's a great pathway for us as a city to making sure that we have enough talented young people, educated people in Edmonton to drive that tech economy, which 
I really think is important, not just for the economy itself, but to keep oil and gas healthy, mm-hmm. or like what would be a natural resources and energy economy, agriculture, or health sciences, all the things that Edmonton's built on. Mm-hmm. Innovation and technology is a huge part of the puzzle for all of those folks, and we need young educated people, and cities that attract young educated people are more livable in their downtown cores than Edmonton is today. Yeah, one thing I could never understand is why why hasn't anyone developed sort of more of those districts along the river valley? I mean, like trying to, trying to um, make a, a symbiotic relationship between a district and sort of the, the mm-hmm. you know, by the river, some, somewhere that everyone likes to be, right? Like imagine on that 90 kilometer bike track that you've got a place where you can stop in and grab a coffee or a beer right. or bite to eat or what have you. Is there some type of, yeah, so, so let's that? talk about Rossdale, yeah. right? Like Rossdale is a complicated space, mm-hmm. old power plant that's historically protected, yeah. but it's so cavernous and big, no one knows what to do with it. Although there's incredible imagination about that, so mm-hmm. I think we're getting closer. Uh, we have a River Valley bylaw that's very protective mm-hmm. of the River Valley and limits what we could do down there. Although, um, you know, I think there's a reasonable debate that always plays out about what we should put in the River Valley and what we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And it's a very healthy debate in our city because like I said, that is our our center, our essence mm-hmm. as a as a sort of being, as a community. Uh, and so I, I, I do appreciate that debate. But I think we can do a lot more Riverside stuff because we already do it. Mm-hmm. Like there's lots of neighborhoods in Edmonton that the highest priced real estate in any community is that's those lots that are closest to ravines or the yep. river valley. Yeah. Uh, so, but having a, you know, there's a great opportunity afoot in Rossdale for us mm-hmm. to do something meaningful there in the next, and I think in the next five years. Yeah. If we've really rolled up our sleeves and got down to it and decided to prioritize it, mm-hmm. we could make something magical happen there. Well, I'd love to see it as someone yeah. who didn't grow up here but plans to make my life in yeah, Edmonton. Yeah. Where you did know, you grow up? Vancouver. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's a great story. I we did. need way more of you. Exactly, right? Everyone asks right. me when they say, where are you from? I say, Vancouver. They go, no one comes east. Everyone always goes west, right? Like it's like yeah. either you move from Ontario to the prairies or you move from the prairies to Vancouver. But uh, no, I, I'm happy to have done it. Like it was a family choice and when I was 22, back in 2011, and and. Uh, it's just something about this city. There's that draw, and obviously, I'm a big booster of the city, which is why I started the City of Champions right. podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. Just celebrating people doing inspiring or interesting things here. So, yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you being a part of it, and I also appreciate the fact that you got a family to get home to. So, uh, yeah, I got I got time for another question if you got anything. Another question. All right, I haven't even actually hit the the list because it's just been such an organic yeah. conversation. Um, but let's. Uh, Say this, if you only had enough resources uh, to tackle one issue before you left council, what would, what would, what would get 100% of your focus? If you... so, in the two, so if I was done in two years, which I'm not saying I am, there's no, no dramatic announcement here on the podcast today. <laughs> Damn, but the, we uh, love exclusivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I've been really passionate about affordable housing uh, for the long for much of my career, 20 years. Mm-hmm. I started, you know, I was working at Bissell Center mm-hmm. in the in the late 90s. We we have before us an opportunity to, for all intents and purposes, end homelessness in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a model called permanent supportive housing, which is a housing type that is provides the appropriate 24-7 wraparound services. Mm-hmm. You can't take someone out of the ravine mm-hmm. who's got a massive addiction that's been 
propelled by mental by mental health challenges and mental illness uh, and then just put them in an apartment and right. say good luck there you, are. you got there four you are. walls and a roof four walls and a roof yeah. I do, I'm done yeah. that we recognize they're out they're not that's not working uh, so you know I, that that issue I think is at the intersection of good social policy good economic policy uh, uh, for sure in that not it the province of Alberta probably spends seventy five to one hundred thousand dollars a year supporting a homeless person through the various services mm-hmm. that they would bump into to one person to one person the province spends that through their homelessness wow. so whether they end up in law like being dealt with by police or mm-hmm. whether they end up in the emergency room yeah. or whether they're you know through FCSS funding various agencies or other kinds of services. Versus what we understand to be $35,000 a year to house that person. Right. Because they're not using police as much. They're not using, or ever. They're not using in the emergency room all the time. Because mm-hmm. they have nowhere to go. Or mm-hmm. overdoses on streets that result in paramedics and first responders and ambulance. So fire truck, police truck, ambulance. Mm-hmm. All showing up. Um, it's just, and we have the math. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to bore you with all of these numbers. It's super, in, it's super interesting we, to me, though. We have the math that says it is the smartest economic decision mm-hmm. to house somebody well. Now, if that, unfortunately, it seems like that's what motivates us as opposed to just the sort of moral, like right. somebody's fallen apart and they need to recover, put their life back together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's all kinds of try, you know, you know, tested, you know, well-tested ways to do that. And all we need from the provincial and federal governments is a significant, a substantial amount of support. Just enough, not, not more, we don't need more than we need. We need enough yeah. to put, to build about 950 units of this permanent supportive housing. What's and the estimate of people that need that 1,600, give or take. Really? Right. That's less than I would have thought. Yeah. That's so incredible. we were up at 3,500, so we've yeah. already done a good job of reducing our homelessness yeah. in the city. And so if you're giving me one issue that I was only allowed to work on one issue yeah. and the time I had left and nail that down, that would be it. And, and the thing about the reason I picked that one is not just because I'm passionate about it. Mm. It's because it's, it's, it's attainable. Mm-hmm. And it just requires, you know, we're going we're gonna to see a provincial budget tomorrow. This is, I don't know when this podcast is going to air. but it's, Tomorrow. Tomorrow, so the provincial budget will be out today. Great. Um, Everyone go check it out. Yeah. I don't expect there to be any money in this provincial budget for Edmonton's Ask for Housing, mm-hmm. even though our council unanimously supported a, a letter sent to them to say this is what our priority is. Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be money in that budget for a homeless shelter upgrade that the city of Edmonton didn't ask for. But, but that's just temporary. But that some people, some yeah. individuals asked for. Yeah. Which is an old solution. And it's not that that shelter isn't important mm-hmm. and and it's not that that shelter doesn't need an upgrade, because it does. But it's an it's an old way of thinking. The people who run the shelter appreciate that you need permanent supportive housing, as mm. that's the crown jewel of the strategy. That's yeah. what really ends homelessness and gets people off the street. Which is the other thing that this is causing from an economic perspective is social disorder in all of our business areas. Right, of course. So we're getting Devaluation letters of, land, of support. Like that. That's right. Yeah. And lack of business, mm-hmm. like Chinatown. You got a tent city right at the perpendicular to the head of Chinatown right mm-hmm. now. Who wants to go to Chinatown when there's a tent city there with 
all kinds of uh, inadequate activity. Right. Inadequate. Occurring. Flavor, inadequate, flavorful. I like flavorful activity happening around there. And it's, it's bad for business. Uh, so let me so, ask you, in that model, is there um, an economic calculation of the productivity of the people whose lives might be changed for the better? Like once you get them into a supportive housing unit right. and then get them perhaps a job, something that gives them meaning and purpose in life. Like That's is, right. is, so, there calcul- is that calculated? Yeah, yeah. So I don't know that to that level of detail we have data on mm-hmm. productivity in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I can tell you is a story that I experienced uh, or I learned uh, when I visited Ambrose Place, which is run by an organization called Niganan, which is in Macaulay, mm-hmm. and it's about 40 units of permanent supportive housing, where I met a man uh, who had been on the streets for so long that you can just you can you can't even imagine the grotesqueness of his being mm. as a person and the lack of dignity and the just the I don't even know how he was even still alive. Mm-hmm. And this is a I met a man and I heard the story about how. Uh, you know, he had cleaned up. There's a healing circle in the, like, indigenous spiritual uh, offerings in the space. Mm-hmm. To this man, you know, being a healthy, clean, going shopping for clothes. Right. First time in his life he went shopping for clothes. I can't remember how old he was in his 40s, something yeah. like that. But you imagine, like, you and I go we need new socks or a new pair of jeans or a new suit. We go buy it. Yeah. Right? But to imagine, and to the, for the first time in your life in your 40s, to go to a mall and like with a little cash and pick out some clothes, that's amazing. like so. The examples uh, and the stories that come out of these places are mm-hmm. profound. The numbers in terms of cost savings are clear. Yeah, and I think it's just a matter of commitment from everybody. So how much money? How much money do you need for this thing? We need two hundred about two hundred. Thirty million dollars. So we're asking, or two hundred sixty million. Sorry, asking about one twenty-six from the province. We we have our own, we're supplying the land. Yeah. City of Edmonton has put more money on the table than any municipality in the country to mm-hmm. end homelessness. True statement. In terms of like like for a city our size. Yeah. And our willingness to uh, to take this on as a city is clear. Mm-hmm. We just need these other partners. It's like if everyone who participated in climate strikes put in hundred bucks could end homelessness. Well, yeah, I suppose we could, you know, like it's just anyway, but no, that's awesome. And I appreciate you sharing that with me. That's really encouraging. Like I had no idea that the plan was in place that should it get funded has the potential to to make such a difference. Yeah, And we could talk over six years, five or six years. This could be, these units could be built. That's, that's very encouraging to hear. And I appreciate you sharing that for me. Well, that was the last question. Okay, great. And you I'm, happy to, I'm happy to end on homeless. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for joining me, Councilor. Really yeah, thanks a it. lot. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, thanks to Councilor Walters and his staff for having me down at City Hall. Last thing for today is I'm going to leave you guys with a little message from our sponsors. Take care. If you're an Albertan, Chances are you love our forests. With more than 60% of the province covered in them, they're where we play, explore, and work. Over 40,000 Albertans are employed because of our sustainable forestry industry. And before a single tree is harvested, we plan 200 years ahead to ensure healthy forests for years to come. Why? Because you nurture what you love. Learn more 
at loveabforests.ca.